from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Happy New Year and welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. It's been less than a week, but 2017 has already been kind to the Gators thanks to a dominant performance in the Outback Bowl. Florida football ended the season on a high note with a 30-3 win against Iowa, and now the attention turns to recruiting season and the spring. On today's show, we'll discuss the aftermath of the Outback Bowl and the start of SEC play for men's basketball with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry, and we'll check in with Haley Lorenzen from the women's basketball team as they begin their conference slate as well. But first, you never really know what you're going to get during bowl season as close matchups on paper turn into blowouts and vice versa. In the case of the Gators, they were staring down potential deja vu from a year ago after consecutive losses to Florida State and Alabama with a Big Ten opponent looming in a bowl matchup. But this time around, they flipped the script from last year's disheartening Citrus Bowl with a tremendous performance in the Outback Bowl. And while Florida was favored to win the game, Scott Carter and Chris Harry were quick to point out that the Gators had to overcome some difficult circumstances to pull it off. Yeah, I had some mixed feelings about that game because, you know, all, all before the game you're thinking Florida is going to be without some really good defensive players, starting with Jared Davis and Alex Anzalone and Mark, uh, Marcus May. Those guys are important in stopping the run. Iowa has 2,000-yard rushers, mm-hmm. so, you know, it looked like Iowa gets their ground game going. This could be a long day for the Gators, and yet guys like, uh, you know, Kylan Johnson gets hurt early. They're relying on a walk-on Christian Garcia at linebacker who ended up with five tackles. And he's famous for another reason. Christian Garcia is famous because the situation over the summer yeah. where he helped stop the, the sexual assault like, by the yeah. bar. He so, had his moment on the field. Yes, he did, and uh, so did uh, Vashon Joseph, who came mm-hmm. into the game. Everybody remembers him from the hit at LSU on the quarterback. He had seven tackles on the season, but we all remember that one. We had seven tackles in the Outback Bowl the other night. And then a guy who has really elevated his game at the end of the season, Marcel Harris, mm-hmm. played another good game. And, uh, and, of course, there's Mr. MVP Chauncey Gardner, who if you're a Florida fan, you're pretty excited about because you know you're losing some good players. As we found out yesterday, Quincy Wilson's leaving. But to have Chauncey Gardner only be a freshman, that's, that's pretty impressive of what he did the other day. Well, what struck me, the in the first quarter, Austin Appleby throws two interceptions. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we've seen that happen in other games before, and everything just kind of folds up. I think you always are skeptical in a bowl game how players are going to react because, you know, you just don't know. There's so, there's so many distractions at a bowl game. What what were their functions? They they went bowling. They, they went to Bush Gardens. Gardens they, they went to the beach. beach they they went boards. to hockey yeah. games and that's, what have that's you. That's the best bowl to go. I want to go to the Outback oh, Bowl. You get out, to do everything there. They do a fantastic job down there. <laughs> really Plus, you're, you're in Tampa. You look. You're, you can see the water just about everywhere you look. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, don't get me started on that because we'll be talking for a while. I'll be, be doing, like, ads for Tampa. But um, offensively, you know, Austin Appleby, I think it was sort of reminiscent. Well, the score was 3-3, and he throws just a little dink pass to Mark Thompson, and boom, it's 85 yards. It kind of reminded me a little bit of how the LSU, the long ball mm-hmm. to uh, Tyree Cleveland, a big play that we haven't seen a lot of explosive plays out of this offense, how it really turned things on the sidelines and kind of got the confidence going because now, whoa, Florida's playing out in front for a change, okay? Right. And obviously they're in a situation where – C.J. Beathard was had a really, really tough day. I guess they were saying he was injured after the game. and But the Iowa quarterback really, really struggled. He's got 7 of 24. 
55 yards and the three interceptions. Uh, one of them went back for a touchdown by Chauncey Gardner. But uh, like I said, when it comes to a bowl game, all you can ask, you want to exit the season on a, on a high note. Mm-hmm. And certainly Florida did that. And they can look back on that game and just know they were really on point in a lot of, in a lot of different places. You know, it's amazing, too, is you talk about the explosive plays and being total game changers. Just like against LSU, the Cleveland play sort of came out of nowhere and no one was expecting it. He hadn't been a huge part of the offense. Similarly, Mark Thompson. I mean, here's a guy who most recently we were talking about because he got suspended again, and there were questions as to whether he'd even be part of the team going forward. And then out of nowhere, he has this phenomenal play. I mean, if you watch it on replay, he evaded four or five tacklers by himself. He didn't even have any blocks on that. That was all Mark Thompson. Yeah, great so stiff arm, too. Here's this guy. Yeah, great stiff arm. Here's a guy who we weren't even sure would be on the team anymore, and he makes the defining play of the game. So well, you just never know what's going to happen. Uh, we were waiting on his signature moment. It just happened to take 13 games because <laughs> we all heard about this guy's athletic ability getting here. And, you know, he showed some flashes. I remember that one touchdown run he had earlier this year where he, he left a guy, and it was mm-hmm. it was all on the highlight reels. But uh, that was a great play by Mark Thompson, and uh, I'm sure Florida is hoping that he can carry some of that in the next season because, really, he started off the year with the four-headed tailback situation. But in the last month of the uh, season, it was really Jordan Scarlett and LaMichael Pirine, and Mark Thompson that kind of fell off the uh, radar. Now, obviously, Jordan Cronkrite has already left the program. Uh, so you got those three guys, and uh, Mark Thompson he made a case for himself to get back involved more going into the next season, and we'll see how that plays out. But it was definitely the play that turned the momentum to Florida, and uh, they always talk about big plays. The offense doesn't exactly produce them a lot uh, in recent years. Mm-hmm. That was a big one. I'll give you another sequence that I thought was really important. It's 10-3. to 3. Florida gets down to, I believe, the six-yard line, throws a, or maybe the nine-yard line, throws a touchdown pass to Tyree Cleveland, call back on a penalty. Mm-hmm. Very next play, another penalty. Now it's it's uh, first and goal from the 19 or 20-yard mm-hmm. line. That's usually when everyone's rolling their eyes. I mean, I was fighting people on Twitter. This guy's going to – I remember <laughs> some guy some guy tweets to me, McElwain, he's, he's calm on the sidelines. He, he needs to be yelling at these guys for these penalties. And sure enough, they go in and score. And, I, you know, maybe it's better to be calm on the mm-hmm. sidelines and kind of get in the end zone, which is exactly what they did. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Austin Appleby had a nice little play, kind of held the ball, kind of stepped into the pocket a little bit and hit DeAndre Goolsby for that touchdown. So I thought that was a really, really big sequence just because to, to roll down there and just get three points would have yeah. been very, uh, for lack of a better phrase, very Florida offense-like for this season. Yeah. Remember, that was a battle between the 115th and the 120th mm-hmm. ranked offenses in the country. And Florida showed, obviously, they had a little more juice to them than Iowa did, and I thought that was a big play for us. Yeah. Before that pass offense. to Goolsby, he, he actually hit Callaway to get him back down to the six-yard line. So back-to-back completions mm-hmm. in that situation that Chris just went over. Mm-hmm. And there was, uh, on that drive, 24-yard pass to Swain. Uh, I think a 21-yard pass also to Goolsby. Same that was drive in, that, that, was that got him down there, right? That was the 12-play 80-yard drive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, mm-hmm. which, you yeah. know, that's a good drive. Uh, Against a really good defense. Yeah. yeah. So good for them. No question. And I think as part of that, too, is you see the emergence of future playmakers. I mean, Mark Thompson's a guy who now more people will expect things from next year. Freddie Swain, you mentioned he had a big play involved in that sequence. Remember, on the first play of the season, Dre Massey, a Juco guy, yeah. was supposed well, to be a that. big productive guy. He ends up going down for the year. So if you look at skill position guys and you throw in Callaway and you assume you'll have other guys back like Brandon Powell, I mean, this could be a, a really explosive offense if they just get, obviously, the right guy under center. Yeah, they do finally have some depth at skill positions, mm-hmm. and we've been talking for really four or five years 
about that's where they've been short, but they've also been short at the most important position in quarterback. And, you know, I read some one of the writers, you know, they pointed this out, kind of skipped my head, but Austin Appleby is the first quarterback to start for Florida and play his last game at Florida since John Brantley. There's been a few quarterbacks come through since then, and he was only a one-year guy. Yeah, wow. But, yeah, so that just tells you right there all you need to know about the Florida situation on offense because if you had an offense that was – Look at Alabama. I don't know what their offense is ranked this year, but they've won some of these national championships in recent years with an offense that's in the 40s, 50s, 60s. If Florida was doing that consistently with the defense they've had the last few years, things would be a lot better. But it all goes back to the quarterback, and uh, here we are. We're going to go into spring football. It's going to be a familiar storyline because Austin Appleby's gone, so it's going to go back to – Kyle Trask, Felipe Franks, and Luke Del Rio. We're going to be talking about those guys a lot. And uh, by all accounts, from just Doug Nussmeyer, the offensive coordinator, he spoke to the media down in Tampa for the first time since early August. Mm -hmm. And obviously a big topic was what's the deal with these young quarterbacks? How much have they grown and progressed? And, I mean, he said they've come a long way. And one of the pointed questions was, is Felipe Franks ready to compete for the starting job? He says, yeah, he's ready to compete. So that's good news, at least in terms of the development part. And both have four years of eligibility remaining because both were redshirted. So, you know, only Tom's going to tell Adam on that. But I I think from a depth standpoint and from an experience standpoint, they'll at least enter next year with, again, I think in the best situation they've been in a while. I look back at three weeks ago, we were debating how silly the debate was whether or not one of those guys should mm-hmm. you know, yeah, have no. to retro take mm-hmm. it off and no, play, play no. in the game and get them some experience. I think they made the right so, decision yeah, there. Because yeah. Austin Alphaby gave them exactly what right. they needed. Yeah, right. they, even though the bad start, he performed pretty well. You kind of like just for him to have that moment. you know. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we, we talked, too, about the meaning of these games. And, and that became a big topic throughout this bowl season is you had some – Big-name players that decided not to play. Then you had really talented guys get hurt. Jake Butt, for example, for Michigan. Mm-hmm. Tears his ACL. Guy was going to be a first-round pick. And now, who knows, because he's got a big injury. But one of the things that we talked about with this game specifically was the importance of it for Florida in this moment because of the need to turn the momentum and change the conversation, especially relative to last year and having that same kind of finish. So, I mean, you guys were there. You talked to people afterwards. McIlwain seemed kind of emotional about this game. Some people would say, oh, it's just the Outback Bowl. But because of the situation Florida was in, this seemed like a really important win. There's no doubt. Well, I mean, you're talking Groundhog Day if they they had lost. So let's just picture the conversation we're having or if we're even having a Facebook Live, okay? (laughs) If the score had been Iowa 30, Florida 3. The noise in the system, as Ron Mm. Zook used to to like to call it or what have you. But, again, you you mentioned – I I thought McIlwain looked a little emotional too because, you know, you go down there and you you don't know what to expect, like I said. But those guys played hard, and they probably played harder than Iowa did. They performed, and it showed, and – now, you take that momentum. I don't know how much it really means because once you're two weeks out of a bowl game mm-hmm. and you're on the recruiting trail, you know you don't know how much recruits are actually talking about, hey, the Outback Bowl. But well, do you they have, have some to, positive if they have the things you can talk about? Talking about it. Everybody's talking they about ran that. out of them, I thought. They had hour-long waits, I heard, at the Gainesville Outback because <laughs> everyone came for the, the free blooming onions. It's a positive vibe, and that's what you want because last year was it was exactly the opposite. You know, Instead of going on the, on the road defending mm-hmm. yourself, now you – go out there kind of pointed to some things so that's good yeah that, to me that's the most important thing that happened on monday i mean winning that game for that positive momentum avoid that storyline of here they are and in another year three losses in a row and guess what they have looked forward to michigan at the first game next year out <laughs> in the dallas cowboys stadium so uh that was important 
you know, I'm like Chris. I don't know how much the impact this has on the recruiting trail, but I know as a head coach, I'd much rather walk into a, <laughs> right, a, a, right. a recruits right on the fence. Hey, do you see how much? I mean, they were a lot better than Iowa. I'll go ahead and say. I mean, you could clearly tell they were a lot better team, had more talent than Iowa. Iowa may not have played its best game, but I thought Florida was clearly the better team on the field that day. And if they played, you know, ten times, I'm probably taking Florida eight of them. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway. It's just positive way to end the season and avoid the groundhog day that Chris talked about, and that was the most important part of that day. So the next part of the conversation, this is the hard part when you have a lot of really good players, mm-hmm. is you have to wait around and see which ones are coming back and which ones are leaving. So at the time of recording, some of these things may have changed, but as of right now, tell us what we know as of right now. We know David Sharp announced last night he's leaving. If he comes back, all five of your returning starters on the offensive line are back. So they're losing a key piece up there. Mm -hmm. But I think they feel pretty good with maybe some guys coming in recruiting, plus uh, maybe moving Martez Ivy out to that left tackle spot, which is where he was projected when he first got here anyway. So I think losing Sharp, it's a setback, but at the same time, it's not one that they can't overcome. The bigger loss to me is obviously Quincy Wilson, that Mm -hmm. quarterback. Him and Tease Tabor have – been a dynamic pair for the last couple of years. And, and Quincy Wilson, I think he's probably the most improved player on the team. I mean, some people – it's going to be interesting to say because Tabor's had all this momentum with NFL scouts and the fans and the analysts. He's always been presumed to be a higher pick in the draft than Quincy Wilson. I mean, I'm not so sure. I think Quincy Wilson helped himself tremendously this year. I didn't know if Quincy Wilson may have had some emotion involved in the decision that maybe – with his brother coming in to play for Florida next year, whether or not that well, would have. His dad, he actually, it's kind of funny because the way he went about announcing his was, you know, a lot of these guys are doing it on Twitter now. He actually went through sportsillustrated.com, and mm-hmm. his dad was quoted in the story saying, well, that was obviously a big selling point for him to come back mm-hmm. with the son. But he's like, he, he alluded to the fact he wants his son coming in to play immediately or had that chance. He felt if Quincy was here, that might might hurt his son. He's already thinking about the future there with the little guy. We need some PT. He doesn't want want big brother blocking little brother's (laughs) playing time. So I thought that was kind of funny. And then the the good news on the good front, Adam, is Duke Dawson is coming Mm -hmm. back. I think that's a very wise decision by Duke. I think he's got a potential to really be a good player, but I don't think he's nearly as seasoned as Wilson or Tabor or uh, as uh, Keanu Neal was last year when he decided to come out early. So I think Duke Dawson coming back, that's obviously going to benefit him now. So they're waiting on some guys like – You got Cam Dillard leaving too. Cam Dillard's transferring. Uh, I think in Cam's case, he's a unique situation. This is a guy who's got his degree. Mm-hmm. He's married, has a, a young uh, baby. Uh, he's from Michigan. So, I, you know, who knows how – he didn't specify why he's leaving. And I guess a part of it has to do – look. He saw how well McCoy played while he was out with a knee injury. They also had Tyler Jordan, who they like as a center. So, you know, Cam's a good guy. He was a good team guy to have around. I think in the big picture football-wise, they'll be okay. But, you know, you just wish him the best, and he's mm-hmm. going to go on and try to play as a fifth-year graduate transfer somewhere. So now we turn the page to the spring. That's where we're going to get pretty quickly. And I know then more early enrollees that, that we'll expect here pretty soon. And, and then the conversation shifts to 2017. Yeah, you're right, Adam. A couple guys, Kadarius Tony, an athlete from 8 Mile, Alabama, enrolled today. And also Kyrie Campbell, I'm just looking at him from Woodbridge, Virginia, went to Wyoming Seminary Upper School, a prep school, uh, got some impressive stats. But uh, it's interesting with uh, Kadarius Tony. it looks like this guy's played some quarterback. He can run, he can catch. So he's, they list him as an athlete. 
and uh, you're talking about playmakers. He's one that they've added to it. You know, you mentioned Dre Massey a minute ago. That's a guy I've almost forgot about because he's, yeah. in a way, they've got to be excited that Dre Massey still has two years with them because they got through this year without him, but he's a player that could really prove beneficial to them if those young quarterbacks want to blossoms. So – now that we've covered football, anything yeah, else we didn't get to on football? we got it covered right now, man. You know, it's going to be a lot of stuff until National Sign Day, some mm-hmm. more early enrollees. But, uh, and, um, Kudos uh, to Randy Shannon for handling that defense in, a, yes. in, a, in an interim And, you know, situation. I would imagine there's going to be some movement on that news uh, soon with the defensive coordinator. My money's probably on uh, Shannon. I thought he did a great job, called a great game. What, Chris, you pointed this out. Fewest points ever allowed in the bowl Fewest game? Fewest points ever allowed by Florida in a bowl game. Wow. And uh, as the margin of victory was the tie for the fourth largest in a bowl game. So I think twice Florida, uh, Iowa in 83 at the Gator Bowl, 14-6 to Florida won, and then I believe Penn State following the 97 season, 21-6. to So the three points were the fewest ever scored by an opponent in a bowl game against the Gators. Yeah. So yeah. more news will come. There's no off-season for There's football. No off-season. The no. news always, always continues. always on. But we're very much in season for basketball. We are. And a, a 2-0 start for the Gators, Chris, and you know, really showing some ability to score the basketball, at least in, in certain bunches. Well, I think um, going to Arkansas and winning, uh, it's just, that's always good. That is one of the toughest places to play, not only in the league but in the country. I think over over the years that's that's proven out of Bud Walton Arena. But Florida went there, and really, if there was a disappointment after that, it's they didn't really step on the throat at the end of the game. And there was it was sixteen point game, I think, with say three three and a half minutes or so. And you know they would like to get out of there with maybe something a little you know around that, maybe even a little better. That really would have looked good on the resume. Not that the resume is anything to be ashamed of. Around right now, Florida is number two in the country in RPI. They played the number one strength of schedule. Um, overall, number one uh, uh, non-conference strength of schedule, which is something to be said for the fact that they had to go on the road so mm-hmm. many times. They've only played two home games. Uh, Tuesday night, they got to play in uh, uh, their first SEC game in Exact Tech Arena at Stephen C. O'Connell Center. Had the Rowdy Reptiles in town. Started off a little slow, but got it going a little bit, but didn't exactly finish the way they would have liked to. Kind of like that Arkansas game, maybe a little bit, but um, won nonetheless 70-63. to 63. And I think it's a good thing afterwards when you have guys like Casey Hill and you have guys like Devin Robinson talking about how we don't like how we finish the game. If that happens in another game, we may not win. And so they've been talking about that a lot. They, they don't like how they started the second half in the loss to Gonzaga. Gonzaga's a team. There's people talking about Gonzaga going undefeated for the season now. Uh, they beat wow. Florida by four points. Um, so Florida had a, had a chance in that game and had, I think had a double-digit lead in the game at one time. There are other losses uh, you know, against Duke and Madison Square Garden and at Florida State. Florida State just went into Virginia and won. At the time, Virginia was number one in RPI. So the, those three losses are nothing to be ashamed of, and now Florida starts off 2-0. and Only Florida and Kentucky are 2-0 and in the league right now. There's a couple other 1-0s. You've got Tennessee coming in on Saturday for a 5-15 game. That's kind of like a prime rowdy reptile game because they can get primed up to come in and they know they can go out and get in the bars at a, at a, at a pretty good time. So I think the uh, the marketing people, Alicia Longworth and them, are looking forward to what the Rowdy Reptiles will bring to that game. But Tennessee last year, Florida played them once. They went to Knoxville. It was by far the worst game of the year. Some people over in that building thinks it was one of the worst games in about 10 years Florida played. They just went up there and got spanked. So I'm not saying there's a little bit of revenge involved, but they know what Tennessee can do. Um, so I think they'll be – Focus for that game. That's a word that kept coming up. Focus, focus, focus. And the way that they sometimes fall into lulls and lack that focus. So we'll see what happens when the Vols come to town. You know, as we talk about the basketball team, I just had a story idea pop in my head. I'd love okay. to see 
Gators Chris go out and camp out one night with the Rowdy Reptiles. Really, I would bet. I would commit. I would cover. To a story. I would cover the game for him. You don't have to worry about the game. And you hang out in the stands. You go drinking with them <laughs> afterward and just recap the day. The next day, it's like a I true embed. I think I mean, it would be a great. That's story. embedded with the Rowdy. That's embedded reporting about, right there. That's I got better. Since stuff. I have to cover the team, <laughs> I actually <laughs> cover the team. Why don't you go hang out with the Rowdy <laughs> and go to social at Midtown? Chris, and, I got a bad back, <laughs> man. I mean, I, I don't know. Sleep, if I can handle sleep the, on the sleeping the bags camp, and camp out, camping outside. <laughs> I think you're in better shape. That's why I propose okay. it to you. Yeah, yeah. It's no. not. That's not actually not a bad idea. It's not the worst idea that, that we've ever come up with on here, and no. we've come up with some very bad ideas on here. <laughs> I'm um, sure some of the other <laughs> media that cover the team maybe maybe might steal that maybe and go with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh? Oh yeah. Sure. All right. uh, I want to talk about what we've seen offensively too. The game against Ole Miss specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, Canyon Barry, it seemed like there was maybe a few games where he sort of lost his way to a degree, and he wasn't quite as big a part of the rotation. And then he becomes a huge part of the second half against Ole Miss and starts creating shots, hitting step-back threes. I mean, he, he was really good. You can go to FloridaGators.com right now and read my next-day takeaway from this game. And I mentioned I have a little passage here. There's three, like, leftover thoughts from each game. But uh, Canyon Barry, people were wondering, what's, what's wrong with Canyon Barry? Earlier in the year, it was, it was why isn't Canyon Barry starting? Is Canyonberry hurt? It's all. This is what Canyonberry is. He has a five-year resume. Okay, this is this is the kind of player he is. He'll score seven one game and twenty-four the next. That's what he did at College of Charleston. He had a stretch over five games where he was one for twelve from three-point range. He's not a great three-point shooter, Adam. He's a career thirty-three percenter. He's a twenty-eight percent this year. But he goes out last night and goes three for six. Uh, I believe he was eight for fourteen from the floor. Season high twenty points here at Florida. So he's comfortable in his own skin with his role on this team right now and his. Vice versa with his teammates. So this is just, like I said, this is kind of the blueprint for, for Canyon Berry. But what's really good about him and what the coaches thinks about him, especially uh, Jordan Mitzi, who had him at College of Charleston, mm-hmm. he's so smart. Uh, we know how smart he is off the court. He's so savvy on the court. It may take him some games to figure out where his athleticism, where his physicality fits in this Southeastern Conference against bigger, longer, stronger athletes. And he'll figure, figure some things out about how he's supposed to play to that. But, um, again, at Arkansas, I think he only had two points, played only 12 minutes. He comes out, what was last night, how many minutes did he go? He had he played, played tw- yeah, 22 minutes, scored 20 points. Highly efficient offense, had a huge stick back on an offensive rebound when uh, uh, Ole Miss was making one of their second comebacks in the second half. So that's kind of the Cannonberry player, and that's kind of what his role is. And, uh, you know, to be quite frank, he's, he's content with it right now, and he'll just see if he can get better from that. I don't think we've actually talked about now the uh, new Exact Tech Arena at Stephen C. O'Connell's. It's amazing. Open. You know, uh, I was on a radio show this morning, and uh, the guy who was hosting it, he asked me several questions, like just from watching the game on TV last night. Like He said, it looks like a whole new building. What's it like if you're there in person? And I really do feel like it, it feels like a whole it new does. building. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that's somewhere we've all spent a lot of time in our lives. And But going back in there when they opened this new one uh, last, what, December 21st, the first game against Arkansas Little Rock, you, did, you really did feel like you were walking into a new place. Uh, I think they did a great job. Uh, you know, my favorite part of the whole experience right now just is it's weird, but it's delighting how it really showcases the action on the court. The court looks great, and it, it kind of looks different on TV too. Mm-hmm. Something that's fueled this defense uh and it's fun. Something that I was sitting next to an ex-official last night on mm-hmm. press row. He, he used the word relentless to describe Florida's defense, and and said they're playing so disciplined and staying on the floor, all right, and not reaching because the, the the point of emphasis now with with officials is look for the hands. Mike White talked yesterday. He's he's obsessed with these 
Ken Pomeroy uh, rankings, advanced metric rankings, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to defensive efficiency. And, it, and because this guy adjusts his defense based on uh, pace. And you can't, that's how you really examine if your defense is good, you know, because everyone's playing in a different way. You can't just go by field goal percentage allowed or points per game or what have you. But uh, Florida's defensive uh, adjustment rating is 11th in the country right now. They're long. They're fast. Uh, uh, they play the passing lanes really well. Casey Hill is playing phenomenal defense. Still gets a little squirrely at times with the ball. That's going to happen. Uh, he's Again, he went 0 for 4 from the free throw line last night after a great start from the free throw line. So he's going to be back in the gym. But uh, so far, a good start for Florida. Again, Tennessee next week. And it's funny, next week, uh, Florida's next road game is at Alabama. So I'll be in Tuscaloosa, which is the happens to be the night of the national championship oh, game. Oh, wow. Played. So, wow. Um, I wonder if there will be any people uh, out and about in Tuscaloosa. That well, day. depends on the outcome, Chris. <laughs> no, no, no. They'll oh, be out and about. I don't yeah. know how long what they'll be, be out and about. Doing? But, yes. but, but if you had to guess, you might think they'd be out, out and about later into the yeah, night. Yeah, right? I would think so. Uh, <laughs> good chance of that. Yes. Both the men's and women's basketball teams are now reaping the benefits of the new Exact Tech Arena at the Stephen C. O'Connell Center, but the timing on the calendar also means they have to brace for some challenging teams walking through the door. We sat down with women's basketball forward Haley Lorenzen to discuss the winding path back to Gainesville and the road ahead. Honestly, like my very first reaction when I walked in, I just looked around and I was in a daze. Like all I could just, I just looked at everything. The lights were so bright and it was like a sigh of relief because we finally felt like we were at home and all the hard work that we had put in in the non-conference season, it was finally about to just pay off because we got to experience such a beautiful new arena just for us and, you know, obviously other sports teams that get to play there. And what, what was different about it? What, what were the first things you saw that really stood out to you and you said, wow, this is something that I'm not used to having? Um, I don't know. Well, first of all, our own locker room was mm-hmm. really nice because, you know, usually we have to share with volleyball, but now we have our own separate locker room. And the other thing as well was when you walk out on the court, I don't know what it is about it, but to maybe something about the paint or something, it just mm-hmm. seemed different and it was at first it kind of took me by surprise because I was like wait are we really home like this is really is this about- actually happening yeah right exactly yeah. like this is the O-Dome <laughs> and um it was quite an amazing just experience just to walk in there and be like this is my house now when you played your first game there at the end of December what was it like to play there for the first time and, and how did that feel Oh my gosh, I had butterflies. Like it was, it was so. Like game one all over again. Yeah, right? it's like exactly. Over. Yeah, it felt like a new season had just started just mm-hmm. because, you know, we got to finally be on our home floor. And I think that we kind of all had those little pregame jitters because we had never played at home before. So right. we finally get right. people that like have been waiting to watch us play to like come in and see us play. And it was just a really nice experience. Up until that point, uh, the non-conference schedule was just all over the place. It was in Ocala, it was in Panama City, it was in Jacksonville, it was in Arizona, it was in Chicago. I mean, when you're traveling that much for such a long period of time without really a home, so to speak, what were the, the difficulties of that as far as on the team? Well, I feel like definitely everyone just kind of took a sigh of relief when we got to be like, okay, we don't have to get on a plane or a bus Mm -hmm. or, you know, somewhere to go. You know, obviously, you know, they try to make Ocala and Panama and like some of the different places in Florida like our home. But there is really nothing like home. And we battled and we battled throughout the entire non-conference season just, you know, trying to fight to, like, play through the fact that we didn't have, like, a home court advantage necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so now the fact that we're trying to make the O-Dome one of the hardest places to play, um, it's pretty fun. 
when you're going through that grind, and now that you can look back on it and it's in the rearview mirror, what do you think this team gained from that? What ultimately came out of that? I think we gained a lot of toughness. I think we gained uh, just a lot of experience as well. I feel like when I think back to like my freshman year and the very first time, like I thought home playing at home was so much easier than playing away. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we had to play away the whole entire time, I feel like it's going to make things so much easier because we're just going to be used to that kind of a routine of packing up your things, we're going to the game, you know, get on the bus, flying or busing all the way there. And I feel like it's just going to help us with a routine of like playing away isn't going to be that much different than playing at home. Mm-hmm. As you're going through this as well, during that stretch, you have the additional adversity of the situation with Eliana. So now that there's a little bit of space from that and you reflect back on it, how do you think the team grew from that? Where are you now relative to where you guys were just a, a few weeks ago? Well, um, I feel like our team chemistry just really shone through in that sort of a loss that Eliana left. And so that we just came together and we just realized, okay, like this is another thing that we have to deal with and we're going to bounce back and we're going to be better because of it. And I think where we got better is that we really looked at each other and looked at to see like what each individual brings to this team. And if we bring that every game, no one's going to stop us. In part because of that, and kind of what you're talking about, some people, including yourself, have had to take on different roles than maybe would be expected due to injuries as well. You've got post players like yourself sometimes handling guard responsibilities. So for you guys, what's that been like trying to kind of transform your games to, to some degree at, at this time of the year? It's definitely a little different. Um, <laughs> it's a little uncomfortable, but I'm willing to do anything to help this team win. And I feel like that's the kind of mindset that everybody has is that, you know, uh, I don't play, you know, like, for example, Cindy Moran getting reps at the four. She's not usually a four player, mm-hmm. but, you know, sometimes maybe if we're in foul trouble, she's going to have to play the four. And so there's just different things that's like, okay, I'm uncomfortable doing this or ball handling or something like that. I'm going to have to figure out a way to make sure I get comfortable with that. So getting in the gym, putting in extra handles or getting up extra shots or whatever it takes, this team has done that to be able to ensure that we can feel more comfortable going forward. What do you draw on for that? Because I know there's, there's times in your basketball life when you probably have the ball all the time. You're the best player out there. It doesn't matter how big you are. They're just going to give you the ball and, and you take over. Is there a particular time that you access to try and, and get that muscle memory back? Is it 10 years old? Is it when you're in high school? Where, where does it come from? Honestly, it's just trying to play with freedom regardless it's it's just we all come from places where we were the star we were the the go-to player Mm -hmm. and so then for all of us to be able to come together and work together and just play in freedom and not in fear then that's where we shine a lot of players have had to step up lately yourself included one player who has really gone to the next level it seems like is Ronnie Williams how has she grown And, and what have you seen as far as difference from her when you first got here and now Ronnie Williams today wow um well I'm just so impressed by Ronnie just every day. Like, it seems like, you know, it doesn't matter if it's, um, you know, during practice or during a game. She just she just makes plays. And, you know, she's always made plays, but I feel like the difference between, like, when I first got here my freshman year when she was a sophomore and now my junior year when she's a senior is that she doesn't let her frustrations get to her as much. And I feel like she stays very calm and very collected, and she can still make head-smart plays now versus I feel like her sophomore year she maybe would have fouled or she would have you know, maybe took a bad shot mm-hmm. versus now she's making those shots, she's not fouling, she's just doing whatever it takes for her team to win. You've gone through an interesting transition time as well now because you're on that cusp of you go from a sophomore to a junior. And I don't know if it's overstated by people outside, but certainly the expectation is that because you're moving from being an underclassman to an upperclassman, 
that that brings additional responsibility, maybe a mindset change. What has that process been like for you? Uh, it's been an interesting process uh, for me personally, but to be honest, the biggest jump for me from going from an underclassman to an upperclassman is just to make sure that I stay more consistent because I feel like, you know, the underclassmen are supposed to be able to look to the upperclassmen for consistency and just being headstrong. And I, you know, just want to be constant in my presence as a leader and as a communicator. And I feel like the biggest change for me um, with mindset wise is that, you know, this team needs me. This team needs every single player mm -hmm. that's on this team in order to succeed. And I feel like that's where I've just kind of owned up and being like, OK, like you just you have to perform. You just have to perform. There's a lot of newcomers on this team that need that guidance. So I'm curious if there's a story that stands out from your dealings with one of the freshmen where you use some of the lessons you've learned to help them on their path. Oh, geez. Um, I feel like the best thing is that sometimes I see Sydney Cersei. She, she sometimes gets overwhelmed. And just like how I would when I was a freshman, I would, you know, there's a lot of information. You're kind of learning how to play basketball all over again, <laughs> which I feel like a lot of people don't understand. They're like, what, what, what's the big deal? You're just, you're just playing you basketball. Your whole life, yeah, right? exactly. And it's, it's completely different. And really I've had a moment with this a little, with a lot of them is that they're coming in, they don't know what to expect. And so then sometimes, you know, they feel like the, the whole world is talking to them and that they don't know what to do. So I'm like, just take a deep breath mm -hmm. and focus on one thing at a time. And I feel like that's the best thing that I could give to them was because my freshman year, I tried to take in every single little bit of advice, but sometimes it was just either the wrong advice or sometimes it was just too much. And sometimes you have to be able to distinguish which one is which. I remember last year on the same time, I was doing an interview with Carly Needles and said to her, you guys are picked last in the SEC. How does that affect your mindset? Now, here we are a year later, it's flipped around. You guys are picked near the top of the SEC. So I'm curious, how is it different at all from your standpoint when you have expectations as opposed to not having those expectations from the outside? Well, I think that everyone um, saw us, you know, pick to finish fourth in the SEC and they thought, oh, well, that's with Eliana Krasinaki or that's with Simone Westbrook. So I almost feel like these expectations have been lowered for us just by society. And I feel like that's okay because we're fine with being the underdog. We're mm -hmm. fine with, you know, you thinking that we're not going to finish fourth in the SEC. And I feel like nothing changes for us. We just try to do what we do best. And we try to be the more confident and aggressive team as Coach Butler just always tells us to be. And, you know, that should guarantee us, you know, finishing fourth or hopefully higher. One of the things that, that I just had a chance to experience with the team was a dinner of champions. Sometimes you do breakfast of champions. This is where Coach Butler, another member of the staff, uh, imparts some wisdom based on some experience. They've had something they've seen. I just I found it fascinating. And also, you mentioned before we started this, uh, a Kobe Bryant story that they used. Can you talk about the, the Kobe story? Yeah. And um, so then another thing that they like to share sometimes is like they'll see videos on social media or maybe they've uh, see the video like in the morning news or something because mm -hmm. like this was an interview that Kobe Bryant did. And so then he talked about meditation and, you know, the team has done team, like meditations as well. So like we saw this video and then we started trying it and seeing how it worked with our team. And Kobe, you know, he talked about how meditation calms him down and how he can really just get in touch with the inside and just being able to distinguish, you know, you know, not being able to be too high or not being able to be too low either, mm -hmm. you know, not taking criticism too hard or, you know, flattery too high. And so then we talked about it being a consistent mindset. And what a mature person does is that they take criticism or flattery and they just take it the same. 
Mm-hmm. And so, like, that was the biggest lesson from there. And then also because Kobe really doesn't believe in success or failure. He just believes in accomplishing goals. But obviously, like, at the end of the day, like, there has been times where he has fell short. But then he has, in turn, not let himself get too low and then correct those mistakes and then become a better player or person after that. Final thing for you. Your mom and dad were both athletes at Iowa. And I imagine you followed the Hawkeyes growing up as well. So I'm curious, yeah. what was the family dynamic like as the, <laughs> the build up to the Outback Bowl and then the aftermath oh, when the Gators win 30 to 3? Oh, goodness. Yeah. Uh, I can't tell you um, how many people were like, well, who are you rooting for? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I go to the University of Florida, so I'm definitely rooting for the Gators. But um, yeah, it was interesting because my dad was like trying to talk like a little bit of, you know, smack sometimes mm-hmm. about like, oh, well, are you guys ready for Iowa? Like, <laughs> I was like, I think we're pretty ready. But um, and it was great to finally see the Gators be beat Iowa, you know, by that sort of a margin. But it was just really funny because all my friends were like texting me during the game and then mm-hmm. as soon as the margin kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger they stopped you stopped hearing <laughs> yeah. from them. So that, yeah no one was talking yeah to you, exactly right? exactly <laughs> hey we thank you very much we appreciate thank it thank you adam and that's going to do it for today's show if you haven't already done so start the new year off right by subscribing to gator tales on the podcast app of your choice and please leave a review to help us continue to grow you can see both basketball teams in action this weekend inside Exact Tech Arena with the men taking on Tennessee on Saturday night and the women welcoming in Top 10 South Carolina on Sunday afternoon. So until next time, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Exact Tech Arena.